So we are in our uh, new series, new-ish. We're the third week in. We're kind of halfway through our series, really, on gospel wisdom. As we talk about gospel wisdom, one of the things that I think is most pertinent, at least for me, at least in this year, has been uh, what does the Bible have to say about self-control? None of you are probably signing up for seminars on how to be self-controlled. Like that's not something that you're Googling out probably, and yet most people in the world around us, the business world particularly, will pay a lot of money to go hear someone else talk about a life of self-control. You don't hear about it um, being marketed as one is self-control. Instead, it's one of like, here's how to be successful, or here's how to do real estate, or here's how to do, you know, whatever it may be. It's really just a seminar on what the Bible says about self-control. So we give that to you for free here, and so you get what you pay for. But we are today here in Proverbs 25, 28. And I can tell you this, that on a passage about self-control, I stand before you humbled because at the end of last year, 2018, we had some conversations in our home that was very evident that I'm very poor at self-control, not great at it. And here's uh, evidence that I'm not great at it or or I'm getting better at it. I was really bad at it. Now I'm getting better at it. Um, I thought by June 30th, I would have this thing licked. That's not true. Um, I still fail at self-control on a pretty regular basis. Um, this last week, while my wife was in Thailand, I set an alarm on my phone for 10 p.m., and the title for the alarm said, Don't Eat Cookies. Um, what kind of a sad man in his 40s needs an alarm that says, Don't Eat Cookies? This guy. Now, some may say, well, that is sad, and I would go, that's progress, my friend that I have an alarm, that I set an alarm beforehand to make sure that I don't eat cookies. By the way, um, anyways, never mind. I'm not going to tell you how that worked out. (laughs) That was back in the confession part of our gathering. So there you go. But I thought I'd have this thing licked, but I don't. I stand before you, and many days, we were talking about this earlier, host, I was like, that's exactly how I feel every time I preach. Yeah, man, like, we don't have this thing mastered. Instead, we're following the master of all these things, and we're submitting ourselves to him, um, and along with you, repenting, confessing, and trusting along the way. So, with that in mind, um, this idea of self-control... Uh, it's really an underappreciated topic today, I believe, and um, I think our culture kind of has two different viewpoints on self-control, and on the one hand, I think um, it looks like this. I would say it's this. It's, it's self-absorbed self-control, and so on the one hand, we really, really like um, the ending of what self-control produces, um, and so like, I think you can kind of summarize this. Um, forgive me, this message is going to have a lot of boxing Uh, references, one particularly in the end. But the first one is from Muhammad Ali who said this, "Um, I hated every early morning workout I ever had to do. Never liked it, but I loved being the world champion. So this idea of someone who is self-controlled, he just, what, what fueled him was the end result. And so we have been duped in a Instagram social media culture into thinking that we just get these things, we're born into them, or we're somehow privileged into these things, and that's just our life, or not. And so that's one end of things, that we've got this, our mindset on the result, not the process. Our mind, we all love fruit, But I doubt many of us are planting fruit trees, or at least not enough to provide for the whole family, not for the whole year. We love the idea of fruit, but we don't like the idea of being a farmer. 
If we did, we would have gotten agriculture degrees and you'd be living in Needville or Pleak. Oh wait, you're going to live in Needville or Pleak apparently. Uh, but nonetheless, that would be our, our um, pursuit. We like fruit, but not the hard work of a farmer. And on the other hand, our culture today begs us to live without self-control. Begs us to indulge. Begs us to live lives of licentiousness. Begs us to just give up on consequence or reward and just live your best life now. YOLO is another way to put it. Like we go after those things. And so on one hand or the other, we either love the, the result and not the process or we could care less about the result and we just dive right into whatever thing that um, suits us. And so I just wonder where you're at on this spectrum of either result-oriented or just not caring about any of it and just getting as much pleasure out of life as you can get. I wonder where you are on that spectrum. If we're indulgent with pleasure or obsessive with results? Are we ignorant of the need for self-control or are we trending towards idolatry of self-control, of success, and of discipline? I think to answer that, we've got to dig into this proverb, right? So this beautiful proverb that I've been trying to meditate on on a pretty uh, regular basis of Proverbs 25, 28, I'll read it again, although Darren just read it. Very complex, not really, but here it is, right? It's a man without self-control. A person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. To understand simple statements like this, if we could just leave this up. Actually, you could probably just leave it up for, for most of our time today. Um, to understand simple statements like this, I like to inverse them. And so an inverse statement could be a person with self-control is like a city protected by its walls, a city, a city protected by its walls. Now, if we don't know this, the ancient cities were protected by walls. If you think about one of the greatest cities in the Bible, particularly that was known by its walls, is what? Jericho. We all, yeah, okay, so we grew up in Sunday school, some of us. So Jericho would come to mind, right? If you can't imagine what Jericho would have been like, just think Lord of the Rings. And if you've not seen Lord of the Rings, God have mercy on you. I don't know what to do, but there is a huge wall in Lord of the Rings and, and they can't get past it and they, they lay siege to the city all through defeating this wall. But if they defend the wall, then they'll be safe inside and it's from the wall that all that gets done. So planes and bombs have made walls obsolete in a military strategy. That was the way that they protected their people was by building a fortified wall. So planes and bombs have, have rendered that technology obsolete. We don't have a lot of cities with walls around them these days. And then our political system has robbed us of thinking probably uh, objectively about walls. We either see them as a great evil or a great help these days. But in the ancient world, to simplify it, it was the wall that kept the people safe. It was the wall that kept the people safe. If you think about this in our homes, it's the same thing. It's our walls that create a boundary from the outside to the inside. It keeps the burglars and the bugs out, and it keeps your kids and the air conditioning in. Behold the beauty of a wall, right? It keeps the good in, keeps the bad out. And conversely, it also lets good out when you want it to. It's a measure. There's a door there. In the ancient, ancient city, there were gates. 
And so there's a door there where you can access both sides of the wall. It's not permanent. And so there's some sort of a control measure that happens within these city gates. If you go back to this proverb, what is he saying? Simply stated, it's this. You and I are vulnerable to attack from the outside continuously and from every direction if we do not have self-control. We will have a vulnerability towards loss if we lack one thing. It's not power. It's not a ring doorbell. It's self-control. This is what the Bible says. The man or the person without self-control is like a city broken into and left without walls. So how is this true? Well, first we have to understand this, that when we talk about a person being self-controlled and having a value of self-controlled, the first thing we have to admit is that something inside of us needs to be tamed. Something inside of us needs to be under control in order for us to live a life worthy of the gospel. What is that thing that's inside of us? See, this is where we, we, we just, as Christians, we can't live according to what the culture says about who we are. That there's something inside of us that is inherently evil. It's our flesh. It's that enemy that's been kicked off the throne but hasn't been fully and finally vanquished. And so he's still around and he wants to get back on his throne every moment of every day. And it's the spirit of God that lives in us and now reigns on that throne that continues to kick the flesh off. Hopefully. Unless we're not self-controlled. Unless we're not submitted to the spirit and self-controlled. That's what the Bible would say. We'll unpack that in just a minute. So every, we cannot give into every inclination, every impulse, every feeling, every invitation, and every indulgence because it could very, very well be that that's our flesh driving the system and not the spirit of God driving the system. This flesh is an enemy of our spiritual lives. If you don't believe me, let's listen to the words of the Apostle Paul in Galatians 5, verse 17. We'll read through 23. It should come up. My man Andrew's got it. But I want you to look at these, uh, what it says is the, the works of the flesh. They are all rooted in a lack of self-control. Look what Galatians 5, 17 says. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit. The desires of the flesh are against the spirit. And the, des- and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. They, they don't coexist. They're not on equal footing. It says, for then, it says, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. The flesh is going to keep you from doing the thing that you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. And now the works of the flesh are evident, verse 19. Look at these evident works of the flesh. Sexual morality, impurity, sensuality, Continues on idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. He he can't even keep going. There's too many to list. I warn you as I warned you before. 
that these who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. If your life is measured by those things, that you will not inherit the kingdom of God. Paul, the apostle speaking, he continues, but the fruit of the Spirit, you, can, you, you probably have this memorized, is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against these such things, there is no law. Now, in my research since December, January on self-control, I can tell you that the amount of material that is put out by Christian authors on that one fruit of the Spirit, as opposed to like love and joy and peace and patience, we love those. You know, I know we love those. Go search Amazon. Go search one, though, for self-control. There's like two that are like pretty decent. Self-control is an undervalued part of the fruit of the Spirit, and yet here it is right in the midst of it. It's this climax of things that Paul is talking about of people that are submitted to Christ. So that's the first thing we have to realize is that we've got to tame, put to death this idea and this, this thing in us of the flesh. Secondly, though, being people who are protected like a city with fortified walls means that we must move from not just killing the desires of the flesh, but also cultivating a fruit of the Spirit. It is a mark of maturity, the New Testament values self-control, even if Amazon doesn't. If you look at the offices of deacon and elder, both are um, uh, qualified by self-control or sober-mindedness. In Titus 2, which the ladies have been going through as women of the word over the summer, if you look at Titus 2, the only repeated attribute that, that, that describe healthy discipling relationships, older men teach younger, women, younger men, older women teach younger women. The only thing that cross-pollinates between the two genders there is self-control. Interesting. Self-control is then pitted against fear in the verse that we had some of our liturgy out of, out of uh, uh, 2 Timothy 1, right? It says this, 2 Timothy 1, verses 6 and 7. Fan into flame the gift of God, which is in you through the laying on of my hands. For God gave us a, spe a spirit of, not of fear, but of power and love and self-control. It is self-control that's gonna allow you to say no to those things that cause fear in you, along with power and love. It cannot be neglected. It is the spirit of self-control that helps us in all these things. All right, so we know the value of self-control. Then what exactly is self-control? Plainly put, self-control is doing what needs to be done when it needs to be done, regardless of how you feel about it. Doing what needs to be done, when it needs to be, be done, regardless of how you feel about it. Couldn't you, couldn't you just put that on top of most of your life? Especially those that are nursing children, rearing up young children, which is like all of us almost. I mean, we're, 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 we're doing that kind of thing on a pretty regular basis. If you're not there, you might be there soon. If you, you're not there now, you did do that at some point. And so it's, all these things, it's like all this is coming up. It's doing what needs to be done in all of life when it needs to be done, regardless if you want to or not. I would say the most profound nuance that I've learned in these six months, and brace yourself, super profound thought coming. 
if self-control is a wall for my life, then my tongue is the gate. I must not keep, I must not only just keep the bad things in, I must also let the good things out. I've got to keep frustration and anger and whatever else is, is rolling in my heart inside, and I've also got to let encouragement out. And actually, that's the harder part for me. Letting that encouragement and that love to come out with my wife and my family and all of you. This has been truly my biggest battle for many years, but certainly in this year. That's the definition. Doing what needs to be done, what needs to, uh, when it needs to be done, regardless if you want to or not. There's a couple of different experiments that people have done over the years, scientists and sociologists over the years that help us understand some nuances to self-control. The first one is called the marshmallow, marshmallow experiment. Anybody heard of the marshmallow experiment? Okay, there's a few of us. All right, so in the 1960s, professors from Stanford University took preschoolers into a room and they put a marshmallow on a plate and they sat them down in front of the marshmallow and they said, if you can resist the marshmallow for 15 minutes, we'll give you another one. And so in 15 minutes, your yield will be 100%. All it takes is 15 minutes for these preschoolers. And over time, what they found is that the ones that could hold out the preschoolers that could exhibit self-control without coaching, which is part of who they were, the preschoolers that could exhibit self-control, they were more popular. And this is in the 60s, so over life, particularly in high school, they were more popular, they were less likely to use drugs, they scored higher in high school. On their SAT, they scored an average of 210 points higher than their other preschoolers who couldn't hold out. They had lower BMI as results body mass index, and they coped with stress better. They measured them from the 1960s until now. This is, they can see this, this broad view of life on what it was like for as a preschooler to have this, in, this, this thing in them that allowed them to say no to instant pleasure. And over time, this is what they saw. They saw all those results. And so for us, the results are this, like self-control as preschoolers, became a predictor for success as adults. Those who had more self-control inherently, given them to them by God, or whatever it is that they concluded, we'll say by God, these are the people that you see in the gym. They live in the gym, right? They're known as gym rats. They, 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 just, they have to be doing something to self-improve. These are the high achievers amongst us. And if you're not that person, Hate working out, hate running. I know that's not obvious to you, but it's true. <laughs> I would say this to myself and to all of you. Take heart for the rest of us that were not blessed with this measure of self-control to say no to a marshmallow. I can guarantee you, if I have to set an alarm at 10 p.m. in my 40s to not eat cookies, as a preschooler, I would have gobbled that thing down and just walked right out and be like, are we done? This is five seconds in, I'm out. Right? For those of us that have not been blessed with that, this is the deal. This is what they concluded out of the marshmallow experiment. Self-control can be learned. It is like a muscle that the more you use it, the more it grows. The less you use it, it atrophies. It is a muscle in our soul. This is inherent in the book of Proverbs. Why would he say this if we couldn't obey this? He wouldn't. In the power of Christ, we can do these things. So the more you use it, the better you'll be at it. The less you use it, the muscle atrophies. That's one experiment that helps us understand one thing. We were all given a measure of self-control. 
Some of us more than others. But for those of us that weren't given the ability to say no to the marshmallow, we can learn these things over time. The other experiment I found to be quite helpful for us. Another experiment was done with college students, two separate um, uh, college, two separate groups of college students, um, both with the same assignment. They were called in together to solve what they didn't know at the time, an impossible geometry problem. And they were given, these two different groups, one group was given only radishes to eat, and the other group was given the choice of radishes or cookies. Want to be in that group? And then they were put, they were less, so they had, one group had only radishes, one group had radishes and cookies. They can make a choice. You go into this separate room where they're supposed to um, solve this geometry problem, and guess who performed better? Radishes. Wrong. Cookies. Cookies out, amen. <laughs> Praise the Lord. Um, uh, love you, Lord. Yes, it was the cookies. Right? And here's, here's the results. Those that could push through on this impossible geometry question, this uh, geometry uh, problem, those that ate the radishes only lasted eight minutes. Those that ate the cookies, all I need is justification. Those that ate the cookies lasted 20 minutes. Their conclusion, self-control is a limited resource. Those Students that ate the radishes used up their self-control with the choice of radishes or cookies. So that by the time they got to the geometry problem, they didn't have the resources for self-control anymore. They couldn't push past the eight-minute mark. They could only get to 20 minutes. Or the, the, the cookies people could get to 20 minutes instead of the eight. Are you, are you following me? I, I kind of messed that up a little bit. Here, let me repeat. Those that ate the radishes could only last eight minutes those that ate the cookies could go all the way to 20, okay? And the reason for that is because self-control is a limited resource. Once you use it in any given day, it's gone. It'll come back the next day, much like if you go to the gym early in the morning and you go and, and, and lift weights and then you go and try and like play baseball or a sport later that day, you're gonna be out of gas. There's a, there's a resource there that has been used up doing one thing and it's not available for something else. And I would say the actual task at hand. Is it clear now? There's four of you that are saying yes to that. All right, I can't make it any clearer. It is what it is. Right? So self-control is a limited resource that is used up during the day, and the cookie students didn't use their resources on self, uh, of self-control on the radish. Instead, they had their self-control reserved up for the geometry problem. All right. So having said all of that, how does this affect us Today, So for the high achiever, those that are given this measure of self-control that we would only long for, I would only long for, I would say this to the high achiever, the person that just can do these things by nature. Well, I would imagine that those things that are by nature easy for you come frustrating, uh, uh, becomes a source of frustration when you look at others, particularly those that you love, and it doesn't come natural for them. So have mercy on those that weren't given this extra special sprinkle of self-control on their soul. Instead, perhaps your, your pursuit in life as a high achiever in whatever area is to help, help those do what naturally, what comes naturally to you. So help those do what comes naturally comes to you. That's for this high achieving, naturally self-controlled person. person. And in our Christian walk, not 
to mention if we are naturally self-controlled or not, let's do these things. Self-control is found as you and I submit ourselves to the lordship of Jesus. It is not a measure of willpower. See, that's where I got lost in the rabbit hole of audible on self-control. I just got lost in all that, and I was like, well, maybe this will get better on this whole self-discipline and willpower talk. Like, seriously downloading the most downloaded books on willpower and self-control that the world has to offer, I was bored within 10 minutes because it all, it's all about you. It's all about habits and how you can do X, Y, or Z. No rooting yourself into some greater power. Instead, that greater power is in you. You just gotta discover it. You gotta find it. You gotta keep digging. That is not the Christian message. Instead, we would find great power and great self-control if we would take that control that God's given us and then hand it back over to Jesus, our King and our Lord, the King truly of self-control, to do what needed to be done when it needed to be done, regardless of how he felt. See, if you and I do not bear this fruit of self-control that we read out of Galatians 5, Logic would then determine that we are not rooted into the life of Christ. If we have no fruit, there is no root. That should have been on a poster. If we have no fruit, there is no root into the life of Christ, right? Here's the beauty of the Christian message. God wants to bless you. We've been saying this now, we'll say it again, that his countenance, his face is set before you and towards you. He's not sitting around waiting for you to prove yourself to him. That's great news as our father. So that's the first thing is that we've got to submit ourselves into the life of Christ, dig our roots deeply into what the Bible says about how to live a Christian life, not not, not, not uh, kind of fertilizing the soil with things of the flesh because that will only lead to, to death. Instead, fertilizing the soil, the things of the Spirit, so that we can give fruit of the Spirit. That's the first thing in our Christian walk. The second thing is this. Maturity is on the other side of pain. Isn't that what James 1 says? Isn't that what Romans 5 says? That God is doing something amidst our sufferings and against our pain. Maturity comes on the other side of pain, not around it. We're only gonna short circuit the process. It's only through sufferings that God has the promises of joy and of hope and of perseverance and of character. Joy, excuse me, maturity comes on the other side of pain. You and I cannot forge Christian virtue without discipline, without practicing spiritual disciplines, and instead we must develop a threshold for pain. Social media, unfortunately, has robbed us from this reality because we just don't only, not only see what real friendships look like, but we also get to see the before and after photos of people. We don't usually see the posts about the pain. And so I would say don't give in to the final product without first understanding and submitting ourselves to the unseen pain that it takes to get there. And if that is true about weight loss and about achievements and how much more about our souls. And the final application point is actually a video. And it's a four minute video. And I want you to think about this in regards to our limited resource for self-control. And as this video comes up, the audio may be a little shoddy, but as this video comes up, I want you to think to yourself, 
It's coming. The audio might be a little shaky, but it's going to get there. Beauty of church plants. You never know what you're going to get on a Sunday morning. But I want you to think about who has more self-control? Is it up behind me already? Okay, I want you to think, like, who has more self-control? Who lives a life of more self-control as you even look at these statistics? And I want you to just think about um, who has more self-control. And then I want you to watch this, and I want you to think about how is my definition of self-control being challenged? Four minutes of highlights of this beautiful, beautiful fight that we'll all learn something about self-control. All right, ready to go cartoon character. This is how you would draw up the heavyweight champion if you were dreaming it up. He's 29 years old, six foot six, chiseled at just under 248 pounds. Andy Ruiz Jr. is not the body beautiful, 6'2", 268. And again, a significant athletic advantage and a significant reach advantage as well for the heavyweight champion, Anthony Joshua. See the punches, at least the jabs through two rounds, nine to three. More than two minutes to go in this round. Anthony Joshua is a composed and ferocious finisher. Watch this. 21 knockouts in 21 wins for Anthony Joshua. The champ with the right hand. Ruiz is staggered and an uppercut, trying to hold on. Strafing right. Griffin, but what an answer by Ruiz. Stunning. Tremendous answer. Just when you think the coronation is complete, Joshua in trouble. He is still on shaky legs, Brian. And there is 40 plus seconds left in this round. These are the, mo the most important 40 seconds of Andy Ruiz's career. He has a hurt champion in front of him. Joshua now on the ropes. Not moving away. Body shots and uppercuts is what Reese should be looking for. Could be measuring him for a counter right, standing in one spot. Now tapping to the body. Fascinating round three. Both men are wary, but Sergio, you thought this was a big chance, and now here comes Ruiz. Has Joshua hurt in the corner? Joshua is hurt. He's staggered, and he goes down again. That's enough. How do you look at your scoring on that? How do you score that round? I gave it to Andy Ruiz, 58-57 in favor of Ruiz. The last 40 seconds of that round, Brian, I think Anthony Joshua threw one punch, and that was at the very end. Oh, that hook. Almost landing in right hands from Ruiz, and now a barrage. The champ's in trouble, and down he goes. Four. Third five, knockdown of the fight six, for Ruiz. Seven. Well, not quite a win, but he flashes his eyebrows. He better throw his hands. The champ is in trouble. Look for an overhand right here, Brian. 
looked at hard set. Try to answer, but he's oh, no. he's down again. Wow. Joshua looks gassed. Four, Mouthpiece came flying five, out of his mouth. Six, seven, eight. He's been down four times. Hey, turn around. You can Joshua turning to his corner. He's got to be careful here. Go. He's got to stay engaged. Okay, Where is his break. mouthpiece? Ready to box. Joshua looks so tired. I think oh, he wants out. That's it. He says that's it. Andy Ruiz is the heavyweight champion. Michael Griffin was giving him every chance, but Joshua was looking to his corner. Why would I show that? <clears throat> I test all things through my wife. I don't know that I ever got the approval, but she was like, why are you showing that? It's a good question. Because I think that's us. I think Anthony Joshua is us. I think we've used up all our reserves on looking good. And we don't have the reserves for self-control for what it takes to win the fight when it matters. We've used it up on looking good getting chiseled, but when the enemy is at us, popping us unexpectedly, we've underestimated that dude. When the world around us comes after us, when our flesh rises up to try and get back on that throne and he's coming after us, we've used up all our reserves on fighting a social media fight, on whatever it may be. We got nothing left for him. And instead, the ref is just standing before us going, you're done. So my prayer for us, truly, as we land today, I pray that we would not just work to portray beauty and boldness here in this room or online, but that we would see truly inwardly what and how we need to be submitted and rooted in the life of Christ so that we will be ready for the fights we both prepare for, prepare for and the fights that are gonna surprise us tomorrow and this afternoon. Because I can guarantee you, Anthony Joshua put a lot of time in the gym before that fight. And I'll bet you Anthony Ruiz did too. But as you watched that, you thought there's no way. If you didn't know anything about the fight, you thought there's no way that's gonna happen. And then it happens. Because mentally, he wasn't ready. I wonder if spiritually we're the same way. See, we look good sometimes on the outside and yet on the inside there is a call to train ourselves like a fighter, like a, like a race runner, like a soldier. These are all narratives and, and metaphors in the New Testament. In fact, 1 Timothy 4 would say this. As he's training up young Timothy, Paul is writing to young Timothy and he's training him up on how to lead and how to love and how to live well. First Timothy 4, 7 through 10 say this, have nothing to do with irreverent silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training, Anthony Joshua, for while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way. As it holds promise for the present life, for the here and now, and also for the life to come. 
For this saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil, look at, all the, look at all this, we toil, we strive, why? Because we have our hope set on the living God, who is the Savior of all people, especially those who would believe. The thing that gives fuel to be able to be self-controlled is not the here and now, although there is beautiful value for godliness now. It is the fact that we have our sights set on eternity and the God of all eternity, Jesus Christ. That's what sets us apart. That's what makes this worth it. Not to mention, that's what enables it to be a reality. The ability to exercise self-control is rooted in our sights on eternity. And I would say that our sights on eternity is the heart of the Christian life. And so this decision is before us. Will we live for now? Or will we live for eternity? Will we deny ourselves temporary, instant pleasures? Or will we hold out for something greater, for something eternal, for something that is sure. It's before us, and I pray we understand it. Let's pray together. Father, we love you. We wanna be people of self-control. We can't do that without your spirit. We don't wanna walk around looking good on the outside and wasting away on the end. Instead, we wanna wage the right wars. We don't wanna get bogged down into fights that aren't worth it. We don't want to get bogged down into using up the resources that we have for self-control that just aren't worth it. And instead, may we exercise self-control, bow out of fights that are beckoning us, luring us, and instead be ready for the one that is happening. I pray that we would be spiritual fighters. I pray that we would be soldiers in your army. I pray that we would understand that a maturing Christian is deeply rooted in the life of Christ so that when suffering and betrayal and disappointment comes, that we are dug down deep into the life of Christ. I pray that we are unwavering in our devotion to you, O oh Lord. I pray that we would prove to our enemy that we, our soul, has no price, that we will not bow down to you, enemy, we will only bow down to King Jesus, no matter what it costs us. As Robbie C. says, when the devil comes for me, I will say to him, you can have my body, but you will not have my soul. I pray, Lord, that we would understand he's against us, but also, more than anything, that you're for us. And if you're for us, who can stand against us? No one. So it's by your grace and by your mercy that we appeal to you and it's by your spirit, the spirit of power, the spirit of love, the spirit of self-control, do we submit ourselves and ask God that you counsel us, comfort us, and guide us in the days ahead. May we respond to your glory. We love you. It's in Christ's name. Amen.